0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent here with my co-host Sean Cheatham. You can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Again, that's reformpodcast.com. And also check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net. Andrew, one of our contributors, just put out a really good article on Christ in the Old Testament. So go and check that out at theparticularbaptist.net. Also, next week is the 2021 Keach Conference at Redeeming Grace Baptist Church in. Uh, Gloucester, Virginia. That'll be September 25th. Uh, we will both be there. We'll actually be doing an episode from there, and I'm also going to be putting together kind of a promotional video for the Cage Conference as well. So look out for that in the coming weeks. Uh, but that'll be next week, September 25th. Um, and with that, I'm going to hand it over to Sean to introduce our topic.
1: Yeah. So today we'll be continuing our study in uh, an Orthodox Catechism by Hercules Collins. Uh, uh, we're on uh, chapter. Oh, I'm on the wrong chapter. We're on chapter uh, five, entitled "The Second Part of Man's Redemption." Uh, parentheses, God, the Holy Spirit. And this is a fairly straightforward chapter, but we're going to go through it anyway, and we hope that it will be edifying to you. Um, so, with that,
0: I'll hand it back to Dan, who has the first question. All right. So, this chapter is kind of interesting because it, even though it says God the Holy Spirit in the chapter, there really isn't a whole lot in here on the Holy Spirit. It's mostly on salvation and um, of man's redemption. So, we'll be talking about man's redemption, in the gospel. Um, but the first question here we have, question 52 in chapter five, is about the Holy Spirit specifically. Uh, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? Answer first, that he is true and co eternal God with the eternal Father and the Son. Second, that he has also given unto me to make me partaker of Christ and all his benefits through a true faith, to comfort me and to abide with me forever. Um, so when, some things that we see here, first of all, we see the deity of the Holy Spirit. Um, he is held as being the third person of the Trinity. Uh, we see this in other places in scripture. Uh, this, the Holy Spirit is talked about as being the Spirit of Christ, Philippians 1:19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer in the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So we see Paul here confessing that this is not just any spirit that is being talked about, but the Spirit of Jesus Christ himself. And this points to his deity because, as we all know, the Godhead is one. There is no division in the Godhead. There's distinction in the persons, but not in the essence. So when we say the Spirit of Christ, that has to mean deity. It can't mean anything else. So Paul here is implicitly confessing the deity of the Spirit here by saying that the is the Spirit of Christ. And we also see the Spirit being sent from the Father um, and the Son. John 14, 16 through 17. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it is it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. So God's, again, we see this is where we get this idea of spiration from the Father and the Spirit, which has been historically confessed, that the Spirit is sent, proceeds from the Father and the Son eternally, um, and is sent to uh, the disciples and to Christ's people. So we, we see the deity of the Spirit being confessed here and uh, Hercules Collins was very careful to point that out. I think because of the importance of it, uh, that he is really God. But the Spirit also uh, helps to guarantee our participation in the benefits that are received in Christ, as it says in the question. It's second that he is also given unto me to make me partaker of Christ in all his benefits through a true faith. And we see an example of this in Ephesians one thirteen through fourteen, which says, "In him." You also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So actually, Paul earlier on in in chapter one of Ephesians says that we've received all the spiritual benefits, essentially all of the uh, in, in the heavenly realms. Um, in Christ Jesus. And the Spirit, and then he basically finishes near the end of chapter one with saying that the Holy Spirit is our seal and our guarantee of that inheritance that we will receive um, uh, to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit seals and guarantees that we will receive those things uh, which are to come. And we already have these things in Christ. So the Holy Spirit seals us. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we are not Christ, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8. So the Holy Spirit plays a very important role uh, in our salvation and in our walk uh, throughout the Christian life. That's question 52.
1: All right, on to question 53. What do you believe concerning the Holy and Catholic Church of Christ? Answer, I believe that the Son of God does, from the beginning to the end of the world, gather, defend, and preserve for himself by his spirit and word out of the whole of mankind, a company chosen to everlasting life and agreeing in true faith and that I am a lively member of that company and so shall remain forever. Um, so this is a, uh, very apt and very poetic way of, uh, letting us know that the Catholic church, uh, Catholic means universal. The universal church is, uh, only, uh, is made of the elect. It's not a mixed church. Um, uh, it's those that are in faith or have faith and, uh, will remain that way forever. And specifically here, um, Hercules Collins lets us know that, uh, we're, we're remaining forever. We're preserved, uh, by two means that God uses by his spirit and word. And that's, um, that's something that's a little bit hard to understand. Um, there are a lot of people uh, out there that sort of have the idea that uh, the doctrine of uh, perseverance of the saints means that once we believe we're good and we don't need to worry about staying on the path, but God does actually use means to keep us on the path. Um, there are uh, plenty of warnings in the uh, New Testament about uh, making sure that we remain in the faith. And it almost sounds like, uh, in a sense, uh, we could lose our salvation. Hebrews uh, 10, 26 through 35. For if we sin willfully after we have uh, received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who rejects Moses law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much more punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled under the son of God underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord and again the Lord will judge his people it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by uh, reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. So here the uh, author of Hebrews is saying that um, to, to believers, it sounds like um, uh, don't cast away your confidence that you had. Um, uh, you ha- you knew that you had a, a better and enduring possession in heaven. Uh, but he's saying that if you cast this away, you will fall into the hands of the living God. Um, and yet we have promises that say that believers will not fall away. Uh, John 6, 35 through 40 and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I have said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. And this... Um, I might have duplicated that last sentence, but um, regardless, uh, this is uh, showing us that um, Jesus came with a mission to lose none. And he's, and we know that uh, Christ will accomplish this mission. John 10, uh, 27 through 29, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. So no one is able to um, snatch us out of Christ's hand. We will persevere to the end. Um, And ultimately, neither of these principles are in contradiction when we understand them biblically. Uh, Hebrews and the other warning passages in the Bible uh, do not say that anyone actually loses their salvation, only that they will if they do not continue in the faith. In fact, if you continue to read in uh, Hebrews 10, the author says that he and his audience are not of those that fall away. Um, so while it is technically possible to fail in perseverance, it's not actually possible because God is the one who's keeping us. If he were to neglect us, we would perish, but he is not a negligent father to us. Um, and God used to keep us in there. The means being, as we read the spirit and the word, um, and we, all, we recognize that God used means to save us. He used his word and spirit to save us. So we shouldn't necessarily be shocked that he would use means to keep us in. So for anyone who reads those warning passages, if they're a believer, um, the spirit will guide them to recognize the danger that they're in and stay on the path and they will persevere. So it's important it, to recognize this is not a meansless, like, fatalistic, okay, I'm in, I'm, I'm good. We have to be on guard. But we know that God has promised that we will succeed in being on guard.
0: Can I say something to that, Sean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it's a, that's a good point you bring up that it might be it's possible that we might be able to fall away, but not actually possible. It's kind of like yeah. when we look at um, salvation and you brought this up like in equipping our church, um, how Adam could have technically or we could technically be saved by keeping the law if we were mm-hmm. able to keep the law but we aren't actually able to keep the law. Um, but that does not negate faith or the righteousness of Christ or anything like that because there's that possibility. Um, and I guess in another way you could look at it too, that the writer may not know, he's assuming everyone's a Christian, but also maybe assuming mm-hmm. that there are those who aren't in, in the congregation um, and that there are those who will actually fall away, who were not actually saved in the first place, but are given the appearance of being saved. Mm-hmm. That's um, that's that's also some problems, two possibilities, yeah? I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. And then do I have the next question? Yep. I do. Sorry about that. Question 54. Uh, what do these words mean, the communion of saints? Answer. First, that all and everyone who believes are in common partakers of Christ in all his graces, as being his members. And then that everyone ought readily and cheerfully to bestow the gifts and graces which they have been uh, they have received to the common commodity and safety of all. Um, so it's important to note that uh, our communion starts with Christ, and it's through Him that we have uh, a communion with one another. We aren't brothers and sisters by our common humanity. If that were the case, there'd be no difference with the commun- in the communion that we have with unbelievers. Uh, but we are part of the family of God. And we should treat our uh, true brothers in the faith differently. Um, We should cheerfully uh, bestow the gifts and graces which we have received uh, to the common commodity and safety of all. And I didn't look it up prior to this, but um, Paul somewhere says that um, the point of the gifts is not for you. It doesn't end with you. You aren't given gifts for yourself. You're given so that you might share those gifts with the body of believers, with the church. Um, and that's important to recognize we don't exist unto ourselves. We exist for others.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's in stark contrast to the episode we did on the Pope, right? Where he saw this common community in communion with essentially other religions and others, Oh, they're all our brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't, the distinctions don't matter that much. Um, but we do see this stark distinction that we have in scriptures.
1: I don't know that he would use the language brothers and sisters in Christ, although he might. I I don't know. But he would recognize brothers and sisters. But spiritually speaking, we can only be brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no other there is no other category. Yes, we're all technically related to one another because we all descend from Adam and Eve. But in terms of spiritual brotherhood and sisterhood that only can exist in God. There's no other yeah. way for it to exist, and I think that's
0: kind of, I think that's where the Pope was going with that. It's this: we have this spiritual yes. brotherhood with yeah. these other, with these other religions that uh, are ex, you know, exclusively against yeah. the Christian faith. But yeah, yeah.
1: How can how you can you say that uh, you're brother to someone who has a different father than you? We are we are right. brothers because we have God as our father, but. Right. Uh, For some, for Islam, they deny that God even is a father. So how can it be that we would be brothers?
0: It doesn't even logically follow. We're all children of Abraham, Sean. Come on. All right. By Uh, faith. Question 55. (laughs) (laughs) Question 55. What do you believe concerning remission of sins? Uh, That God, for the satisfaction made by Christ, has put out all the remembrance of my sins... And also of that corruption within me which i must fight all my lifetime and does freely endow me with the righteousness of christ that i come not at any time unto judgment so this is a reference to the satisfaction made by christ on the cross we see this i think most clearly or one of the most clear places is in romans 3 26 uh, whom god set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So that satisfaction is the wrath of God being poured out on the Son, and through Christ's death um, provides eternal uh, propitiation for our sins so that God's wrath is no longer, uh, Abiding on us so that the wrath of God is no longer hanging over our heads Ready to strike when we die or waiting for us at the last day Uh, We have that satisfaction in Christ so that we cannot come under judgment any time and then Through as a result of that propitiation and satisfaction. We have forgiveness of sins Ephesians 1 7 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace so this forgiveness of sins can only be found uh, in the work of Christ on the cross uh, through that passive obedience and of his death and through his positive obedience uh, of keeping the law and that being imputed to us. We are forgiven. There is no sins to forgive. There is nothing to uh, go back and deal with. It's taken care of for eternity. Um, And this kind of goes back to our, you know, we, we see with our Lutheran friends Um, They have this issue in talking about apostasy. They want to say that we are believing in justification by faith alone and it's objective, but then you can also fall away um, at some point in your life as someone who is actually justified. Uh, The problem with that is if justification is truly effectual and brings about forgiveness of sins, that our account is completely covered with the righteousness of Christ, There can be no sins to go back and forgive in an objective sense Um, so you create problems there with regards to justification we have uh eternal uh security for lack of a better term in jesus christ because of his death and the work that he did on the cross and because of the obedience that he kept to the law that is imputed to our accounts for those who believe in his work in his gospel by faith and so that is our great rest and it's Uh, encouraging when it says in the question at the end um, in my lifetime does not freely does freely endow me with the righteousness of Christ that I come not at any time unto judgment there is no time where the true believer who is resting in Christ is going to uh, come under the the judgment of God in the ultimate sense of the term so we have that rest and we have that peace knowing that uh, we are taking care of in our standing before the tribunal of God, we can go into heaven with the righteousness of Christ, um, without any fear of condemnation. And that is a glorious truth that we can hold on to. Um, And then we take that hope to the world um, as we, the church carry out the great commission. And that's a
1: truth that actually should propel us forward. I suspect a lot of uh, um, people that would come against the doctrine of uh, preservation of the saints, perseverance of the saints um have the idea that once well now, now you know you're saved, so why worry about doing anything good? But as we talked about, there's there's means that God uses to preserve us. Um, it's not in of ourselves that we'll persevere, it's still God acting on the world to keep us. But um, we have confidence and we can walk boldly, knowing that God will preserve us to the end, and uh, we can live out the Christian life doing good and going into um going into the world and we know that we will not fall down and be destroyed it should propel us forward in confidence it shouldn't be an excuse for laziness
0: that's right that's right it should propel us to greater holiness and i think that's Mm -hmm. paul's argument in romans 6 is that you've been given grace so you shouldn't be lazy you should now be putting sin to death Mm -hmm. um grace just because sin abounds and grace abounds doesn't mean that you can't you know you don't sit yeah. idly and do nothing yeah you should be thankful yeah. for that grace not take it for yes. granted yep amen amen and then question 56 uh, what comfort do you have by the resurrection of the flesh that not only my soul after it shall depart out of my body shall presently be taken up to christ but that this my flesh also being raised up by the power of christ shall again be united to my soul and made like the glorious body of christ now this is talking about the final resurrection. Um, we see you know 1 Corinthians 15 is one of, the, probably the more lengthy passage that we find on the resurrection and what will happen specifically. I think in one of the, uh, I think in 1 Thessalonians, you can find some things as well. Um, Philippians 1 23, for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And that is actually quoted here by Hercules Collins as a proof text um, that when we leave the body, If we, you know, before Christ comes back, we die, we go to be with Christ. Our soul goes to be with Christ. But Paul makes it very clear um, that our bodies will also be raised as well. It's not just our souls that are going to be with Christ. Our bodies will be with Christ as well, and and they will be reunited. We will have glorified bodies uh, in the new heaven and the new earth. Um, So there is resurrection. It's not, we're not dead in the ground, and that's it. Uh, You know, the hopeless life of the naturalist or atheist um, we have something to look forward to we will see our lord one day whether it be before he comes back when we die or it will be when he comes back while we're still living we will see him um, and and it will be a glorious day but that's what we that's what we move forward to in our christian life we're pilgrims moving towards that day um, looking forward to Christ coming and being with him amen
1: all right moving on to question 57. What comfort do you take from the article of everlasting life? Answer, that for as much as I have already in my heart, uh, as I feel already in my heart the beginning of everlasting life, it shall at length come to pass that after this life I shall enjoy full and perfect bliss, wherein I may magnify God forever, which blessedness surely neither eye has seen nor ear heard, neither has any man in thought conceived it. And you've got the interesting, um, the interesting uh, parallel, or not parallel, but you've got multiple things going on here that we will be in perfect gl- bliss and magnifying God forever. And for the Christian, these are not two separate things, but these are are intimately related. Um, we w- will recognize God for His worthiness and magnify Him forever, and that will be part of our perfect bliss because we know that we are doing good. Um, and we we love our God and want to magnify him forever. Um and uh we have uh we don't know exactly what this looks like now. Um we're given a, a partial picture of it um in the New Testament, but we don't truly know what this is going to be like, but we have assurance from God in the promises uh, that he's given that we will we will be perfectly happy and thus we we rest in it. Uh, by faith. We don't need to know specifically what it is, uh, but we
0: know that it will be good. and We trust God. Amen. Amen. And, and looking at the our notes here and the catechism, I skipped 58, 59, so I'll take my shot at these. Um, what oh, I thought you is, did that purposefully. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I think it was an oversight on my part, um, but we'll knock these out. So question 58. Uh, what purpose or what profit is there to you when you believe all these things? Answer that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir to eternal life. So Hercules Collins is essentially culminating these thoughts here in, into one uh, ultimate thought that we're righteous before uh, for God in Christ and we're an heir to eternal life. That's really what it boils down to when we're talking about the gospel. The gospel makes us right before God and prepares us for the... the the world to come and then that is our rest and our security as we move through in this life and then he talks about in question 59 how are you righteous before God answer only by faith in Christ Jesus although my conscience accused me that I have grievously trespassed against all the commandments of God and not and have not kept one of them and further am as yet prone to all evil yet nevertheless if I embrace these benefits of Christ with the true confidence and persuasion of mine the full and perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, without any merit of mine, of the mere mercy of God, is imputed and given to me. And that also, as if neither I had committed any sin, neither any corruption did stick to me. Yes, as if I myself had perfectly accomplished that obedience which Christ accomplished for me. Now this is essentially, this is a truncated gospel message right here, focusing on the righteousness of jesus christ Um, but that's really where our satisfaction comes from the death of christ taking care of the wrath of god against sin and then christ's righteousness taking care of the problem that we have uh, violated god's law as he says here uh, we have and have not kept one of them and that's consistent with romans 3 starting at verse 9 where paul talks about our state before god there's none who is righteous no not one there's none who seeks after God, and he's quoting from the Old Testament. Um, but we do see this dire, str- you know, this dire issue that the human race has of sin, um, and Christ's righteousness uh, fixes that problem from a judicial standpoint. We are now able to stand before God, as Colin says here, uh, as if I myself had perfectly accomplished that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me. It's as if I did keep God's law perfectly myself and so God can see he looks at us and he says not guilty not guilty because of what Christ did it's a vicarious action that Christ did um, that accomplishes that righteousness for us and that is our only um, hope before God from a judicial standpoint the right the death of Christ taking the propitiate the satisfaction or taking the wrath of God and his righteousness so the only ways that we're going to be standing before God rightly on that judgment day and now so it's uh it's really a joy to read this because it it reminds us of that uh, that blessedness we have in jesus christ that we can that we can rest in uh, in his gospel Uh, and then finally question 60. uh, why do you affirm that you are made righteous by faith only not because i please god through the worthiness of mere faith, but because only the satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God and that I cannot take hold of it or apply it to myself any other way than by faith. And this is, I think, consistent with our confession, because in chapter, I think it's chapter 11, that's about justification. But it specifically says that our right. Our faith is not accounted to us as righteousness. Um, Our faith is not itself so it, although it is pleasing to God, it's not contributing to our salvation in any way. It's not like we've checked the mark on God's law list and we are satisfying that. And therefore God owes us something, um, as Paul says, would happen in Romans four if we were able to obey God's law. Um, but no, it, it's just the means by which righteousness comes. And the righteousness of Christ is our only way of being uh made righteous before God and his death. Um, So that's important. That's important distinction to note when talking about faith. But faith is the only means by which the righteousness uh, of Christ is imputed to us in his uh, passive obedience and his death.
1: Yeah. Faith is not a new law to keep that we would be righteous by our faith. Um, As well, see, I'll go into in the next um, the next question. Uh, we are not able to keep the law to God's satisfaction, and God has not lowered his standard to, oh, now the law is only faith. no. Uh, we mm. still need to be perfectly righteous in all aspects before God. Um, and I guess this would actually be a good time to jump into that question. Question 61, why can't our good works by uh, be excuse me, why can't our good works be righteousness or some part of righteousness before God? Answer, because the righteousness which must stand fast before the judgment of God must be in all points perfect and agreeable Mm. to the law of God. Now our works, even the best of them, are imperfect in this life and defiled by sin. And uh, one of the proof texts, a very powerful proof text, is Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, First is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So God's standard, God is perfect. God is perfectly holy. He will not lower his standard for us. And we need to meet that standard perfectly in order to spend eternity with him. And all our works are at least partially corrupted by sin. We do things, even good things, for the wrong reasons sometimes. If I hand money to the homeless person on the street, but really in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, the person I'm with is going to look at me and think I'm so wonderful. That's not doing it for the right reasons. It's doing it selfishly, and thus it it does not credit to our account. Um, Our righteousness has to be perfect, and that's why we need Christ's righteousness. Um, I don't know. Did you have any comments on that, Dan, before I move on?
0: Uh, no, I think you said it very well.
1: And actually, I missed i missed a point that I want to go back to. Um, this is something that the world has the hardest time understanding about Christianity, but this is core to the gospel. The world cannot understand how it can't be right with God. You look at all the other religions of the world, and they are religions... Uh, if they have any concern about the state of man after death, they um, or that man is is wicked in some way. They will recognize, or they will try to uh, bridge that gap by law, by doing things in order to be made uh, righteous. And um, we know that, that that's impossible. But this is the only way um, that we can be made righteous with God. It's through another. Um, on to verse uh, six, or question sixty-two. How is it that our good works merit nothing, seeing God promises that he will give a reward for them both in this life and the life to come? Answer, that reward is not given of merit, but of grace. And people want to try and and mix this, that, oh, we recognize that there's grace, but it's also partially of merit. Uh, But the Bible would have us, um, the Bible always makes a distinction between these things, and they are... Uh, diametrically opposed. Romans eleven six. and if by grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Um, it cannot be a mixture of both. It has to either be grace or by works. And as we were saying before, it is possible, theoretically possible, to merit eternal life. Now, no one except Christ can possibly do this, but it is theoretically possible that they could, but Christ has merited that on our behalf. And by faith, if we are in him, we are, count- as we've said, we are counted his righteousness. And that is how, um, we could to, um, to be saved. Uh, grace is Christ was not obligated to give us his righteousness. We didn't earn it by our faith. So it's still of grace that he gives it to us. It's unmerited favor. He hasn't, He was not obligated to give it to us, but um, he does.
0: So in all ways, it comes by grace and not by ourselves. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And I think people do get, I think people get tripped up on that concept that, yeah, it is theoretically possible to keep God's law and be saved. They think, Oh, wait, 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 now you're talking about works. Whoa, calm down. Calm down. It's like, well, that's kind of what the gospel is predicated on or based on, right? It's based on us not keeping the law perfectly. And if, we could, then we could technically get into heaven because Christ is actually doing that for us. Um, but because of our sinful nature, we can't do it. And that's why Christ um, must do it for us if we are to be here. This is what God in the covenant redemption, the Godhead uh, predestined that would happen. And this is how uh, it's going to come uh, come to pass. So uh, you know, we're we're not saying that you are saved by works. We're saved by Christ, but you know, because of the way the law of God and essentially his judicial system is laid out, you could theoretically be saved if if you were able mm-hmm. to keep His offer. But we can't. Mm-hmm. We need Christ. Would, we need Christ.
1: I would like to point out also: by the time someone comes to the knowledge that you could be theoretically saved by your works, you've already ruined it because you've already sinned. You you sin <clears> as you sin as a yeah. child. Um, so by the time you come to that understanding that the the scriptures teach this you're already it's already too late and God yeah. doesn't forget the sins of our youth except by Christ um so we can't we can't say oh but i I, I was sin as a child that doesn't count no all, all your sins count and
0: there's no way to atone for them by yourself you need Christ mm-hmm. amen amen all right our final question of the chapter question 63. Uh, but does this doctrine make men careless and profane? Answer, no. Those who are incorporated into Christ through faith necessarily bring forth the fruits of thankfulness. Uh, and we touched upon this a little bit already, but the, when we are saved, it transforms you, right? Paul says that we are a new creature. We have a new nature. And because of this, our desires are different. Our longings are different. Our actions are going to be different. Uh, we see this in multiple places in Scripture. First uh, John is probably the best place to go in, in terms of talking about what a true Christian looks like. First uh, John two three. Now, by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. So this is the evidence that you know Christ or you know God if you obey Him. That's that's the outpouring of that change that we have in our hearts. Uh, John fourteen six. Jesus, this is Jesus saying. Uh, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? If you say you love me, then do what I say. It's it's a pretty simple dichotomy. You you say you love me, you're going to do what I say. There's there's no way that someone can uh, be a true Christian and live completely how they want without any fruit. That that's impossible in the eyes of the scriptures. Um, and, and then Romans six, we talk about this as well. Romans six one through four. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So baptism being the symbolization of uh, the death uh, that we of, of Christ's death, really identif- us identifying with him in that, um, it should lead us to live differently because we have changed, uh, we have changed hearts, um, and so that's really what uh, the ultimate end of the matter is. That I think uh, Mr. Collins is bringing out here is that all of these things that have changed us now lead us to uh, not be lazy, not to be complacent in our Christian walk, but should have us move forward um in obedience and paul says that we should we should have zeal right we should have zeal for the things of god we should be uh moving forward strongly and pressing into the kingdom of god um and and moving forward in our christian life Um, sean did you want to add anything else before we close um i think all that pretty much covers it all right well that continues that closes out chapter five i think uh see how many chapters are there? chapter 12 Is it 12 chapters? okay yeah. There's 12 chapters in here. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to finish this out before too long, but we'll continue along in our uh, in our discussion of an Orthodox catechism uh, by Hercules Collins. This has been a really good study. Hercules Collins made this really it, it's um, the uh, Heidelberg catechism redone uh, from a Baptist perspective essentially. Um, so it's been very helpful. Definitely been a blessing. So we'll continue on that uh, probably throughout the rest of the year, um, and we'll see where we are uh, by January. Uh, but uh, thank you for joining us today. I um, hope it's been edifying and beneficial. Um, again, next week we will be at the Keith conference. It probably won't be a live episode. It'll be, I think it's going to be pre-recorded and released later. But keep an eye out for that. Uh, Dr. James Renahan is going to be the keynote speaker there. So we look forward to that. He's going to be talking about the chapter in the 1689 on uh saving faith. We're very much looking forward to that. Keep an out for the episode and the upcoming promotional video um after that. But until then, uh we hope that everyone has a great weekend and a great Lord's day and we'll talk to you soon. God bless.